brothers and sisters, it's time for Angel Repair Juice. Greetings and welcome back to another edition of Angel Repair Juice. This is Henry Henry Volk. Come on, the Starship Enterprise. Starship Enterprise. And my name is and my name is Matthew Pancake. I'm a I'm a podcast host, not a doctor. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I did that very well. You didn't do it well enough. Bones, is that practice you? Is the only answer. Those practices a little bit more. The tribbles, they're everywhere. <laughs> Alrighty then. Alrighty then. We okay. For those of you that are confused, um, I did try and x out all the. Ver- I actually did this for you, Henry. We hadn't put oh, out man. last week's show before you something changed and you weren't going to be going because remember we announced that we weren't going to be doing a show today so what i did was i went back through and i cut i hope that i cut all of that out so that people wouldn't be confused but if you are confused that a show popped up in the feed earlier than you thought it was going to then this is a maybe an Maybe a pleasant surprise. Maybe maybe it's even an unpleasant surprise. I don't know yet. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess so. Either way, the, I, we we didn't. Um, we probably didn't get to check the email this week or anything like that, right? No, I didn't. It's, no. I've, I've well, been, no, you weren't expecting to be like. I've never. I've never. I I never check the email. That's that's. Yeah. See, that's probably not something we should be telling people. Because you know, <laughs> like, on the one I, hand we say I don't you know, even bother, man. I, I don't even bother. Well, what just... we ought to do is we ought to like find some way to like press this, like you know, pick out like six or seven groups, and then always drop. I mean, what's the worst that they could do? Tell us not to do that ever again. <laughs> we could. We well, could... it's not like they can make me. Yeah. Well, I guess they could kick you out of the group. It's our show. Hey, 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 man. Let me let me tell you something. It's our show. We can do whatever we want. We can get angry and just tell them off. Tell, uh, just tell off our viewers and tell them who's boss. Yeah, we tell, tell the viewers who are boss. Okay, then this is how we're going to do it. We're going to tell them that you must, you must, you must send us an email at angelrepairjuicepc at gmail.com. Send an email. Yeah, that's, you know, that's... That sounds pretty good. You got to get angry, though. Yeah, you got to get angry. I could do this. Got to get angry. You got to furious. Let me see gotta... if I can do this because I have to. I have to do it right. Okay. See, all of you viewers out there, you have failed me for the last time. <laughs> Send an email to angelrepairjuicepc at gmail dot com. There, that actually hurt. <laughs> That's good. That's that's a good start. <laughs> that, that hurts. So, you have failed me for the last time. <clears throat> me. And you could also go to Angel Repair Juice at, at dot wordpress dot com. You could go to Angel Repair Juice Facebook group, which is actually fairly active, by the way. You could drop all sorts of things in there. We talk about different things. Um, we had somebody talking about Norn Nine here the other day. 
Uh, that's fine. And there's a page, which, you know, you and I ought to figure out what to do with that. Um, and ARJ Podcast at Twitter. Yep. At ARJ Podcast. Um, at ARJ. And we got to look at some way to see what the thing is, is I'm using a different host for the program than we use for Radical Grace Radio. A bunch of stuff happens automatically with that. And it's just go boom, you know. It's like on, oh. it's on, it's in this group, it's in this group, it's on Facebook, it, it it's on, you know, it, it posts to the website, it posts to Twitter, just by clicking the one button. So, but I can't figure out how to make that work with this this host because they seem. It's funny because the the front page of that says that Adam Carolla does his show through them, so he must have somebody that like painstakingly goes through and posts everything. You know, oh. Yeah. So now that we've got the contact info out of the way, why don't we go ahead? Is it okay, Henry? I'm asking for permission <laughs> because you usually stop me Hold for on. some okay, reason. Before, before, <laughs> before you go any further, man. Before you go any further. Uh huh. Just got pranked. I just got pranked. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> let you know, I'm not Henry. Oh, you're not Henry. No, no, I'm not. I'm. <laughs> this is me, Andy. Okay. I'm one of the the fans. You're one of the fans. (laughs) Okay. He pranked me. He pranked the listeners. Okay. Just let let everyone just just let everyone know. Just to be clear, I am Henry's brother, Andy. Uh huh. Okay. I I kind of pranked you, but yet I kind of I kind of pranked Henry. I I I knocked on Henry's door. I told him. William Shatner is at the door right now. Okay. He got up and left like a flash, and I just took over, and I locked the door, and now now I'm, I'm doing Andrew Perges. Okay. Is, okay, is, then is, I don't have to ask you to go and uh, do the anime Fyro's Roundup. I hope that you're ready to do this. In this week's Bubuki Baranki, the Baranki that fell from Treasure Island is rampaging the countryside, using its power to remake the landscape into something inhospitable to humans. The four gods, Zetsubi, Matobai, Arabishini, and Tsubuki, are attempting to slow it down long enough for Ryoko to arrive bringing Entei, who they hope can stop the rampaging titan. But when Ryoko does finally arrive, it's apparent that her Buranki is outmatched, since it no longer has its Bubuki to act as its limbs during battle. Zetsubi convinces Azuma and his friends to lend them their Bubuki, and once they are combined with Entei, they are able to destroy the Headless Titan. But this leaves the group's Bubuki in a drained state, and the only way to bring Obu back and unite all the Bubuki is to turn their eyes to reaching Treasure Island. The only question now is, can they actually reach the island in the sky where Azuma's mother still works to keep the Buranki in check? This week's episode of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans Tekadon has finally made it to Earth successfully introducing Kundalia to Urabu's representative Makenai Togunosuke However, they will have to accompany Makenai to a parliamentary general session taking place in Edmonton Grimgar of Fantasy and Ash continues, and Harohiro and the group make a concerted effort to make Mary a permanent part of their party. As time goes by, the locals begin to call their party Goblin Slayers, 
because they are not only becoming more skilled at taking out entire goblin parties, but growing richer because of it. Mary finally gives in and joins the rest of the party for dinner at the tavern, but she's still very tentative with her interactions. Later, Haruhiro stays up late and is visited by what he thinks is an imaginary version of Monoto, and Haruhiro promises to show him what his party is like tomorrow. This week's episode of Shores Marken, a 200,000 strong beta contingent is advancing on the city of Berlin, and only a few forces are available to stop the attack. But even as the battle rages on the Eastern Front, the Stasi plot a coup back in Berlin. Wokodakega Inaimachi continues, and having been arrested by the police, Satoru catches a glimpse of the person that he saw leaving his apartment the night his mother was murdered, and he makes a wish to go back again, this time vowing to do whatever it takes to save Kayo Hinazuki from being kidnapped. He arrives just before X Day and comes upon a plan to take Kayo and hide her in an abandoned school bus, thereby forcing her mother to call the police to investigate. But as the next day wears on, Satoru and his friends are confused as to why Kayo's mother hasn't reported her missing. So Satoru decides to go to Kayo's house to confront her mother the next day. But that night, while Kayo is alone in her hideout in the school bus, a dark figure enters the bus. And that was this week's Anime Fyro's Roundup. So Henry, are you there? Henry? I'm I'm back. So what this was so what was it like me- meeting William Shatner? What? Andy said that you that that William Shatner was at the door, and that was the reason that you went downstairs. And he said something about maybe locking the door or whatever. No, no, he said that there was pizza down there. Pizza. Yeah. So I so I went downstairs to give me some pizza, and I came back up to do the show. He was in here. Yeah, he said. He said that he told you that William Shatner was at the what? door. What? Yeah, he said that. He no. said that he even locked the door and locked you out. No. 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 Nope, no. You Shatner. know you're gonna you're gonna have to you're gonna have to set him straight. You're gonna have to do something. I I'm gonna we're gonna have to do something. Uh, you need to regress. Here's what you do. You you regress in your mind back to whenever you were like ten, and you <laughs> used to make him be your personal slave. That's that's what you do. You those, you those days are long gone, man. Oh no 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 no! You can channel that. You can channel that. If you can do Shatner, you can channel yourself. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> I channel my, myself as Shatner. Well, you you channel Shatner somehow. Okay. You don't believe, like, huh? Can I channel Shatner being me? Like, yeah, that would be weird. Do, yeah, go ahead and do that. Try that. Okay. Um. Yeah, let me let me tune this in. Um, my name is Henry Volk, <laughs> and you're listening to Angel Repair Juice. I think you tuned into somebody else. Somebody else. <laughs> Adam West. There's they have such a close frequency. William Shatner, you got you got Shatner, you got them. Okay, so for your shows, Henry, which one is your favorite now? 
I want to say Iron Blooded Orphans. Uh, Schwarz's Markin is. There's things I like about it, like the animation. Yeah. The animation is very good. The the beta um, are very good. But unlike maybe a show like Gundam where it has the military theme and you can almost kind of buy that they're in the military, almost, it's 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 not believable in Schwarz's marking because there's like a total lack of discipline um, among the characters uh, I, it's like they're in high school and they're pretending to be in the military, oh, which is kind of typical for for anime. That's that's but, interesting. Uh, does it? Yeah. Uh, does it? Yeah. Is it like a detriment to have it that way and it be that sort of um, historical quote? I'm going to put that in scare quotes. Historical drama. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's. that's I mean. I mean. That's a good way because it it is like a like a quasi historical fiction because it is set during um like, like 1980 something in in europe so yeah the, in that in that respect it's really not believable uh because the, the characters like i said act and kind of look like they're in high school and uh you know it's it, it doesn't it does, to me the characters don't possess the seriousness that that's really compelling for a, a good mecha military show. Um, so, but I mean, it, it's not bad. It, it, like I said, it has some really positive aspects, like the animation, uh, which is very uh, interesting and good. But, but yeah, the new Gundam is just it continues to, be, to get better and better, and um, it, it has, ironically, ironically, even though it's not like an actual military. And all of the uh, main characters, give or take, are children. Uh, it's actually more believable because of the level of seriousness. Uh, I feel that's interesting because they're they're um, you know you would think that setting up the 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 story, the sort of historical story, would make it more believable. Even if there was sort of a loose a loose way in which the militaries, but you that's what you would think. But obviously, that's not the way you're seeing it at all. You're seeing the sort of more the more flamboyant story as being more believable than the one that should be that should be believable. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting how there's that flip there with it. Um, then again, it's Gundam. It's um, you know. Do you feel like they're recovering their 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 um, excuse me um, you know getting their mojo back as far as Gundam goes? I I think so. Um, you know I I haven't watched um, you know a lot of the newer Gundam series. Uh, I kind of checked out after Seed just because I don't know I just didn't care for it. Um, but but I think that. They are kind of exploring new, new ideas, which is doesn't really happen with Gundam, you know. Because like when Gundam tries to be different or silly, it's usually horrible. So yeah, you, know, you think of like the micro SD Gundam show, which was awful. Um, oh, and man. then 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 you have the one in the nineties. Gundam, what was it? It was 
the, the, uh, the I don't know. I remember that I've got like a gap in there anyway, but I remember I remember Gundam from whenever we first got cable there for a while. And, you know, like I said, we were late getting cable because we were so rural. And, uh, you know, but I don't remember any of those things. But I do remember hearing about, you know, how it just didn't, you know, that's, that's why I didn't seek it out whenever it's like, what was it, 1997 when that, I first that, ran into Blue Seed. And I didn't seek out Gundam at that point because I, I knew that it was out there, but, yeah. you know, that there were newer ones. But it was like, you know, the word on the he street had, was is that they weren't any good. So, well, that, see, see, what happened was is that right before Gundam Wing came out, there, there were two previous series, and one was the it's like the, let me let me look this up on uh, Wikipedia because I want I want to get the, the chronology right because it's people who are into Gundam are obsessed with um, chronology of the series and supposedly how they all fit together but they don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's it's funny because for the I believe it was the twentieth anniversary of Gundam they made a live action movie. Um, it was made over here with American actors. Oh, I remember that. And and inside the DVD box, there was a, uh, uh, uh was a, um, a little chart of all of the different series and, and how they, uh, kind of connected. How they kind of connected. That's kind the thing. of connected, but they really don't. So let me let me see if I can't pull up this list here. So yeah, like SD Gundam, because I've got this list pulled up. The, the little mini Gundam that started out in the late '80s, and it's kind of like Attack on Titan Junior High. It's that kind of cutesy parody, but you know, like in the early 2000s and late '90s, they had a CGI one that was just genuinely horrible. Um, yeah, during that time, Matthew, we're, we're looking at like 94 to 95, they came out with, um, Mobile Fighter G Gundam, and this one was so, um, horrible, I, I loved it, because it was very nostalgic for me, because I, I watched reruns of it when I was a kid, but it, but it was so horrible, because the premise was, uh, is that there's no more war, and instead of having wars, they just have a giant Gundam competition, and every country has their Gundam that they send out, and their Gundam fighter pilot guy, and, and they just duke it out. Then that country gets to be like, you know, the, the country of the world or whatever. And it, it, it was horrible. And then, like the, like, the main character's catch line was, by the power of Shining Finger or something like that. It, it, was, it was genuinely horrible. Um... So yeah, I mean that's it wasn't too long, and I think they tried that kind of campy, cheesy Gundam feel, and it just didn't work out. But you know, the, the problem is, is that the shows are very serious, and you can only make so many series, um, kind of around the same concept with the same feel. So what I think they've done with Iron Blooded Orphans is that. First of all, by putting everything on Mars, they've kind of broken away from everything being centered around the colonies, Earth. Uh, you get a whole new group of people with their own background, their own stories. And you have all these kind of 
extra political dimension. Uh, you know, it's just not the Federation and the Zeon or uh, a colony group in the Federation. You you have the Earth governments, you have uh, the Mars government, you have Tekadon, then you have all these mob organizations. So there's all these different dimensions, different different aspects of things that they can work uh, into the storyline. And that just kind of adds these extra dimensions that uh, they, they can work with and incorporate into the storyline. And I think it's it's going to, I don't know, kind of open up a new world for Gundam, uh, maybe even kind of you come back like a door to, to other possibilities uh, in future series. Well, they must have something in, in mind because they committed to you know two seasons. It's funny that they say it that way now because it used to be that they just considered, whether it was 24 or 26 episodes, they considered that a season. But for them to commit to that many, that many episodes, they must think that they've got something. So I, I, I think so. I mean, it's... It's Gundam. If nothing else, they they have that fanatical core base audience that that will always go out and buy the merchandise and watch the shows just because it's Gundam. I mean, supposedly like the diehard Gundam fans are some of the most hardcore fans out there. Um, like it's it, it gets really extreme that. with these guys, yeah. And it, you just kind of like look at some of the Gundam series, and it's just like. Yeah, like the only people who are going to be obsessed about this is this group of people. No, same group of people that have uh, Nazi iconography in their Twitter profiles. <laughs> Gundam, <laughs> I- Gundam iconography. There yeah, you go. Gu- yeah, Gundam like Zeon iconography in their Twitter profiles. <laughs> and all this hate speech about the Federation and their beats. There you go. Now, how do you work Trump into that? Trump. Yeah. Uh, there'll be the. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, um, Iron Blooded Trump, Iron Blooded Trump. Yeah, the uh, it'll be the uh, zero point nine Trump model. I have a giant wand with a comb over, comb over. <laughs> yeah, golden comb over. Yeah, big it'll golden be, comb over. It'll be huge. It'll, it'll be, be tremendous. Just hugest Gundam that has ever been. It'll be tremendous. It's going to be tremendous. 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 Yeah, I woke up to Trump book this morning, so. <laughs> Trump book. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, st- they're still responding to that. Yeah, I know. I've been getting notifications left and right all day Just about it. Trump, 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 Trump. Hello, guys. You could watch some anime. It's no wonder you people are checking out of this nonsense. Because who, who wants to deal with it? You know, just Trump, 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 Trump. Let's turn on some anime. This See, is... you already had the right idea when you mentioned uh, uh, doing um, or watching some uh, blackjack tonight instead of dealing with Trump. Trump. But 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 you see, this is um, this is uh, somewhat anime. Okay, it's not really anime related. It's Asia related. So like everyone knows that Chairman Mao had his little red book. Quotations from Chairman Mao. Yes. Yeah. We're a good communist. Yeah. Kept that around with you everywhere you went. So that, so someone has made uh, a little red book of quotations from Chairman Trump. <laughs> so I had oh, to buy Oh, yeah, it. you said you bought that thing. <laughs> oh, 
man, it's it's great. I can't wait to get it. I get it. Trump becomes president, and I, I have that sinking feeling that he will. I'm going to carry this thing around with me everywhere I go. Hey, maybe you meet like, him. You can get him to sign it. You can get him to autograph it. I, I Could would. you autograph my... <laughs> like, like I see someone talking bad about the government, I whip it, I'd be like, um, Chairman Trump says. <laughs> <laughs> Do you dare question Chairman Trump? <laughs> Oh my goodness! Okay, so 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 in other Listen, words, if Chairman Trump wants to move the means of production to Mexico, so he can build factories there, make his clothing line, and he has access to the giant wall, who are you to complain about it? it? Says right here in the quotations from Chairman Trump, page forty-five. Yeah, because we're going to build the Great Wall of America. The Great Wall of Trump. <laughs> the Great Wall of Trump. There you go. Great wall. It'll, yes. be, it'll become a constitutional thing. They're going to change the name of the country to Trump. Um, I've, I've already, I can already see that you know the White House is going to become the new Trump Tower. You'll just keep adding Tower. on to it until it's like you know. <laughs> no, no, no. It'll be his first executive order. You need a wall around the White House. There you go. <laughs> I'm afraid Mexicans are going to get into the White House, so we need to build a wall. <laughs> Actually, they need to build a wall because the Secret Service isn't doing a very good job anymore. Jump across. Here here a guy climbs the fence, jumps across, runs all the way into the White House before somebody stops him. <laughs> that really happened. So maybe they do need oh, a yeah. wall. I remember that. That happened a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe they maybe they do need a wall. Especially if Trump gets in there because everybody will want to see him. Say, Trump! Trump! Hey, it's me! Remember me? We shook hands once during the campaign. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was tremendous. Thank you. <laughs> Flips his hair, you know. I loved seeing you in the little rascals. That was the best movie out <laughs> of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you do you imagine if Trump uh, had an anime? Oh man! Now you just now Trump. you've done it. Someone's gonna make one. Well, they they need to make one. It, dude, this reminded me. College Humor had this mock anime. I'm going to find this thing. Um, and it was about Vladimir Putin and um, Kim Jong-il's son. What's his name? Kim Jong-un. Jong-un, yeah, that's yeah, right. He's the, he, he's, he's the one who's now the supreme leader of North Korea. Whatever the title is. Yeah, so, supreme Unterführer, whatever he is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's him what were you what were you talking about oh see yeah yeah college humor made a um a a video about how vladimir putin was gonna go challenge him to a battle oh yeah and it was hilarious but it was like anime ish kind of oh rambling. you mean they did it like okay well i'll have to look yeah. that up sometime it was a it was a parody I'll send it to you. When, they do when good I find stuff. It. They, they do. They they do have a lot of really fun. But it stuff. needs to be. But it needs to be like you know, it's got to be Trump being Trump on the campaign trail. I don't know what you do. You know, I guess what somebody could do is they could do like a a a, a parody of the Dead Zone. Have you ever seen the movie Dead Zone? I've heard of it's it. It's a Stephen King book. Um, okay. 
and and in in the movie Christopher Walken plays this guy this guy that's got the power to um see the future in somebody whenever he he comes into contact with them like if he shakes their hand or something like that and there's a whole bunch of stuff like this but Martin Sheen plays a character that's kind of like Donald Trump and this is like a long time ago this movie was made shakes his hand and and what the future that he sees is him starting a nuclear war you know if he becomes oh, president really? yeah so the rest of the movie winds up being Christopher Walken you know he tries to explain to everybody that that this guy's you know going to cause the destruction of the world and eventually it winds up being him trying to assassinate him before he becomes president Okay. Yeah, some New York Times or LA Times reporter got in trouble for posting a link to this on Twitter, huh. and and it's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, maybe. I mean, how, wh- why? I mean, do you think this is a? I mean, I don't know. You can say that it's a joke if you want to. You can even say that it's offensive, but I think that there's something there. <laughs> I'm I'm not even a liberal looking to try to take him down. I'm just saying that listen, it's a movie, it's Stephen King. I mean, you know, he's he's not a slouch as far as thinking goes. You know, if somebody really charismatic were to try and become president, who knows what might happen. You know, especially if everybody just loves every little thing you do. You know, so anyway, that's my rant. We're gonna have to do some ranting on the other side. Are you ready yeah. to do some ranting on the other side of the of the break? I- I am ready to rant. I because am, what uh, I want to rant about is something that makes it very machine. difficult to do this show. And that's the, the fact that there are, I mean, listen, if you are if you are a Christian, let's say, I don't care whether it's Baptist or or Methodist or whatever, you're listening to this program, you know that we're Lutherans. We always say that. It's anime from a Lutheran perspective. But in a way, you, you can listen into this conversation because what we're going to talk about is dividing law and gospel. And we know that that's... The concept of law and gospel, in quotes, is this cool thing that everybody from, you know, John Piper to the Gospel Coalition and everybody thinks that it's just rockin' awesome. But the fact of the matter is, is there's more to dividing law and gospel than just saying, well, the law is the law and the gospel is the gospel, which is the way most people understand that. So when we get back on the other side of the break, I'm going to rant about why it makes it very difficult to do a program like this one, and among other things. So... You ready for this, Henry? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Stick with us and we'll be right back with more Angel Repair Juice. You see, happiness doesn't depend on abundance. What is the mystery? The mystery is life. It depends on something deeper. But deep, dark, Grecian eyes. Stop a dubbing up all of us. Hello, Angel Repair Juice listeners. In the right hand corner, we have Brother Billy Graham. And in the left hand corner, we have Brother Billy Shatner. This is a decision of a lifetime, folks. Will William Shatner make a decision for Christ? Great competitors, you know the rules. Let's get ready to rumble! Would you like to know that you're going to heaven? You can tonight. If you're asking, asking me where I'll go after getting this award, and I dropped it, I'll probably go to the CDC. On the authority of God's word, I can promise it to you tonight. The beauty of the words 
is that you can understand it. You don't get eternal life when you die. You get it right here and now, tonight. You know, I think I should. Can you believe it, Angel Repair Juice listeners? Under one minute, Billy Graham has got William Shatner to make a decision for Christ. I present to you our new world heavyweight evangelism champion, Billy Graham. Welcome back to Angel Repair Juice. Hey, I almost got the cadence right. Isn't that how Shatner does it? And welcome back to Angel Repair Juice. Well, well, That's not how it's done? Okay, show me. Master, master, explain. There's no necessarily wrong way, I guess. It depends on the mood, the tone, what you are feeling on the inside. I'm Danny Craig. <laughs> I'm Danny Craig. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I need to. I we need to like create a, a like. I gotta like have a, a soundboard, a Shatner soundboard or something. It's just you just you hit. I'm Danny Craig, and you just have all that's, these. That's <laughs> exactly what we need. Shatner soundboard. Well, everybody needs. It. See, that's what we do. Oh, angel, an Craig. angel repair juice. William Shatner soundboard. This is this is like the app of all time. We'll charge ninety nine cents for it, and everybody will have to buy it. <laughs> then we'll be rolling in the dough. <laughs> who wouldn't want a William Shatner soundboard? Yeah, who wouldn't want one on their phone? You know, because there, I'm sure that there's like a William Shatner response for everything. You know, uh, you're at the DMV and they say, you know, number twelve, and I'm sure that there's a, a Shatner response for that on something, some, some. See now, what was that? What was that show? Because he did it. Remember the TV show, the police TV show he did for years. Oh. This is the one everybody forgets about. Um, um, but I remember watching it. I remember when yeah. it was brand new. Um, uh, see, this is what happens when you don't do show prep. This is what happens when you just, even if you had show prep, and you just sort of throw things in there just to be doing it. <laughs> do you remember that show? T.J. Hooker. Yeah. That was it. it. That was it. Finally got it. Yeah, that was, we should mind that. That whole thing right there, because that's like his lost weekend. <laughs> you know, he's got Star Trek and all that stuff, which sort of, it's there, and then suddenly there's this TV show that a lot of people forget about, and then phew, he goes off back out into Star Trek again for a while, you know. Yep. He's you a nothing, captain. You have nothing he to say about <laughs> He was a captain. But he was a cop. He was a cop. But he was a captain. But he was, he a was cop. an admiral. But he was a cop. <laughs> <laughs> but he was also a lover. A man. He was many things. William Shatner he was, was a student and a teacher of life. Of life, exactly. <laughs> this is one of the things that makes it hard to do a show like this one. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> We're already ranting. Oh man. Okay. Uh, See, here's here's the thing is is we actually get um um well, we 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 don't. Let me let me just start again. Um we were, I was talking to Henry before 
the show started because we we didn't really expect to be doing a show this week because yeah things come up uh, things you got to do and then they uncome up and then you know suddenly we got time to do a show so we didn't have anything but one of the things that I noticed a while back um, because because I've done another program before Radical Grace Radio and one of the things that one of the reasons why I wanted to do that show was because of the distinction between law and gospel. Now, that's become a kind of famous thing since 2005, since eh, probably a little before that. Because before, it seemed like everybody, all these different um, denominations, didn't really think. Here's what they did. They, they, They said if there was a distinction, they said it was between law and grace. I remember them saying that over over at my old church, which was a Pentecostalish church, um, sort of a Pentecostalish word faithy thing, but they they would do that, and then I go, okay, that's that's an interesting distinction. But it wasn't until I actually got so sick of that that I had to not go there one morning and went to a Lutheran church and met a Lutheran pastor who gave me a understanding of what it means to rightly divide the in fact this is what the Lutheran Lutheran confessions say you know this distinction between the law and gospel is this brilliant light that stands the test of time that God's word may be rightly divided I you know it's interesting because I always thought that rightly dividing the word of God meant just sort of understanding the word of God. But no, it turns out that this distinction is, is there are commandments in the Bible, but then there's gospel. Our problem is, is that we tend to turn the gospel into law. Like, how do you get saved? And people will say, oh, it's by, by grace through faith. And go, okay. Um, so after that, then what? Well, now you got to start uh, following all the commandments, and you got to do it because if you don't, yeah, you're going to lose your salvation, and it turns into all this stuff that people get wound around the pole about, and then it becomes ooey and gooey, and you lose the gospel and all of that, and before it's over with, you've lost your mind again. You're back into you know the anxiety of not knowing where you actually stand before God. Now, Henry. Before I monopolize the rant time, yeah. you um, became Lutheran over time. I remember the first time I talked to you, you were still sort of attending both churches. Yeah. Um, what happened to you whenever you first first heard um, Law and Gospel? Because it seems like it's such a slippery thing that people might, uh, and not you, but people might lose it. So, you know, lose this distinction. So... You know, okay. Go ahead. This is going to be a very long story, and I'm going to tell it because I, I've tried to write about this in other groups when it's when it's come up, and it's it's very hard to kind of write down in a few sentences. So I was raised in a a more classical Pentecostal church, and Pentecostals historically there there are ex- exceptions, but they are. They are predominantly Wesleyan in their soteriology. Uh, And when you say Wesleyan, there's some qualifiers. Yeah, for people who don't know, tell them what soteriology is. Uh, Yeah, so soteriology is the 
theory of salvation. So okay. you, it's, it's a Greek word. You have ology, word or study. Then you have soter, which is uh, salvation, or savior. So uh, you know, the, the Wesleyan position is Arminian. It's kind of a um, adapted Arminianism with some of Wesley's peculiar ideas about sanctification, which basically is he believed that sanctification was a one-time work that happened instantaneously in a moment. Then you became uh, perfected in love. Not that he denied progressive sanctification, but that he believed that there was an entire sanctification that happened he identified that with the baptism uh, in the Holy Spirit. Now, now Wesley got the first part right. That is his preaching on justification. The, the law is there to condemn sinners. Christ offers his grace um, on account of faith alone. Granted, there's some differences about free will, but a classical Arminian or a classical Wesleyan who really knows their theology, will understand that man, apart from God's prevenient grace, and that is a kind of grace that God gives to all people to to kind of open up their free will yeah. to be able to choose. It's, it, it's kind of a... It's kind of a in-between position, uh, I guess you could say, between uh, maybe Catholicism or... Uh, Eastern Orthodoxy and Lutheranism or Calvinism that says, okay, man has no free will. Yeah. Wesleyans want to admit that, and they also want to hold on to the freedom of the will, so they have this doctrine of prevenient grace. Yeah. That's, and, and here's a sarcasm alert. That would never cause anybody any anxiety at all, now would it? Not... <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Um, it's it's that you know, that position a, a, would never, you know, like that. You know, that my position, free will's been opened up, but for some reason, I'm still not. Don't seem to be following, you know, God's law, or don't seem to be particularly sanctified. Maybe yeah, not even particularly justified. You know, well, it just it's it's a know. it's it's a because we have to understand that 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 after regeneration, the believer does have free will. So that, that's part of the deal. You, you do have a free or a freed will um, after your regeneration. So uh, Christians should never say that they don't have free will. The question about free will revolves around the unbeliever. And like Philip Melanchthon says in the Loki Communes, that the free will is really just a horrible term. We should get rid of it. What the scripture is talking about is the human heart. So you classical Wesley... Classical Wesleyanism has this understanding of convenient grace that opens up free will. That, while the Lutherans would say it's technically wrong, isn't that horrible or uh, it's not really an unhistorical position within the church. Now, the problem is that that position so easily mutates into something else. So, you know, you have uh, Wesley... And Wesley was a part of a huge revival movement in the Anglican Church, and most people don't—I don't think—know this. Who maybe aren't 
uh, Wesleyan or Methodist themselves, but you know, the, the Methodist Church was originally called the Methodist Episcopal Church. Because Wesley was never out to start a new church, but the, the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church wouldn't really have what they were doing, you know, because it was very energetic, very yeah. revivalistic. Not that all of that was bad, but so that you have this distinction, but they were still very much um, within that tradition, at least as far as their services, they're still very traditional and liturgical Methodist out there. Okay, so um, that so that is the background in your in the church that you were in before. That's, that's that's kind of the, the genesis of it. But okay. you're going to have the Second Great Awakening. You're going to have uh, figures like Charles Finney, who denies original sin, um, who d- denies substitutionary atonement, who grants man a libertarian free will, who's very legalistic. And Finney's influence, of course, Finney was the one who introduced the altar call. Uh, before Finney, you don't see an altar call in the church. That was the brainchild of uh, of Charles Finney, and Finney had a huge impact on sub- subsequent revival movements, including uh, the Methodist Holiness Movement, which was a kind of reactionary movement within Methodism that very pietistic, as opposed to the more institutional institutionalized Methodists who were more about social justice, uh, maybe had some resemblance of a liturgical form in their worship. And Pentecostalism came out of the Methodist Holiness movement. It was a very, almost a very radical, revivalistic movement within that movement, which was already kind of radical. And so you have this kind of warped and deformed Wesleyan theory of salvation working about you have to become sanctified and you can lose your justification which Lutherans also believe, but it, but it's very, um, how do you say, there, there's really not much of an understanding of the, of the perseverance of the saints, which is technically a Calvinist doctrine, but it's something that the Lutherans understand too, is that, that God does preserve us. You know, that, that I think every Christian would acknowledge that uh, in some form that, that God does preserve us, and that was kind of lacking uh, in my upbringing, it's very much. Uh, I've heard people say from the pulpit, you know, that if you have a bad thought, you know, an immoral thought, then the rapture happens, or you die, and you'll be left behind and go to hell. But there's no security. There's there's really no um, efficacy to to the blood of Jesus because you always have to uh, reapply the blood, as they would say. Always, you're always having to confess every little thing. And this is tied up to their ideas about sanctification as well, is that you, you have to be saved, uh, say a sinner's prayer, receive justification, and you have to be sanctified, receive this perfect sanctification, because the Holy Spirit won't dwell in an unclean vessel. And then you have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, unlike Wesley, who said that was sanctification, Pentecostal said, well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really this gift of tongues that we read about in Acts 2. And so... Yeah, another innovation. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's this third process. And once you get to that third one, then you're in the really spiritual club, more or less. Um, 
and, and that's in, in some ways that's a very fair analysis. In some ways, that's a very unfair analysis. Uh, it just depends on you know the, the personal experience and the environment and the different church bodies that that someone who is Pentecostal grew up in. It, you know, not all of them uh, agree with Wesley's ideas about sanctification. It's not uniform, but that was not. Uh, it's it's not. Um, how, how do I say this? It does reflect my experience, uh, more or less. So, this was how I was raised, and I, and I always had this fear that I would be left in the rapture, that I would die and go to hell if I didn't confess all my sins. I wasn't good enough. And then here's here's the here's the kicker. I started listening to Joseph Prince. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, Joseph Prince, the pastor in Singapore, pastor of New Creation Church, giant mega church. And Joseph Prince really kind of opened up the gospel for me. He, he would talk about justification. And, and, and you know, to be fair, Joseph Prince, in a lot of ways, preaches a Southern Baptist gospel when it comes to his, his preaching about the gospel. It, it, it is, you, know, you choose to be saved, and he believes in uh, eternal security. Um. But I, because he was charismatic and had a Pentecostal background, uh, he he was kind of a uh, a person I would listen to, you know, because I, I I wouldn't necessarily listen to this coming from the Baptists. They would talk about being secure in Christ and having all of your sins forgiven and having security and uh, the finished work of Christ. He thought that was crazy. Um, and so Joseph kind of was the person that kind of opened me up to that. Now, uh, so so I listened to, to him a lot. I listened to like all of his podcasts. I was listening to his preaching. And back when I was listening to Joseph, he was much more popular here. Now you don't hear about him so much. I'm sure he's still very popular in Singapore. Um, but, but thanks be to God, TBN is actually kind of losing influence in the greater Christian world because the way we consume media has changed. Uh, the influence TV has on, on the way we consume media is is going down, and people are now consuming more media uh, via the Internet, via podcasts, these different formats. So you, you don't hear much about Joseph now, but, but Joseph is an antinomian, <laughs> uh, classical antinomian uh, and Chris Roseboro on one of the pirate Christian episodes interviewed Lisa Cooper, Pastor Jordan Cooper's wife on a paper she did uh, actually on Joseph Prince. You can actually uh, find her paper on the line. It's, I know it's somewhere. I don't know if it was on the Justin center site. I want to say that it was, but she goes through, basically all of Joseph Prince's theology and offers a critique, and that's very excellent. But when I tell people this, um, they're kind of amazed, because it's like, you you heard the gospel? You kind of like this more pure gospel from Joseph Prince? Because he's also into the, the Word of Faith stuff, which I was also into at that time. Really into. Um, but it was. It was just this freeing truth um, for me, but, but it was... Some things really kind of uh, 
didn't set well with me, and this is due to um, uh, this is the case for a couple reasons. One was that I started reading Martin Luther. Um, I, I had gotten John Dillenberger's um, collection of, of Martin Luther's essential writings, and I'm, and I'm going through these, and I start reading, uh, I believe it was The Freedom of a Christian, and there's just all this wonderful gospel stuff in there. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, someone knew about this like 500 years ago. And I am just now starting, starting to hear about this, that, that you know, Christ loves, loves me, that he, that he wants to forgive me, that, that he died to cover up all my sins. There's nothing I can do. Because that, that was always a big fo- focus in Joseph Prince's teaching because he has this – Basically, he draws a dichotomy between the law and the gospel. Because, you know, the law is bad. The law shows you your sins. Um, so Joseph Prince acknowledges the first use of the law, or, or second use of the law, sorry. Um, it's the first use if you're Reformed, the second use if you're Lutheran. Um, <laughs> about the law. <laughs> I think Reformed had to change it. I don't know. Actually, theirs is a little bit more logical. It makes or logical sense for the second use in Lutheranism to be the first use, but I'm not going to get into that. But, but you know, Joseph would say, you know, the law can never save you. All of your good works, all of your trying can never save you. It's not, it doesn't merit anything with God. So you have to look to Christ and you know, his blood and everything he's done for you and have faith and take courage in that. And, and that was so radical for me. I had never heard that. You know, it had always been, okay, Jesus forgives your sins. Now it's up Now it's to time you. for you. Yeah. I'm for you you to get your really you good. get your holy mulligan now. Get you know get get busy. Yeah. Don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah, and don't screw <laughs> it up because you don't go. You know, in some in some quarters you get this. You only get one chance. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and it's like, oh, that's that's no, that would never cause anyone anxiety. And and the and this, I mean, and that view has come up multiple times in church history. Actually, one one of the first groups in church history to adopt that were the Montanists. Yeah. Uh, the, the Montanists were a radical charismatic sect uh, that, that appeared in the mid second century. And they said, okay, people that have been divorced can never be saved. Um, th- there were some other things typically around uh, sexual morality and divorce, but it was this very much like one time and you're out deal. And it was very austere. And the church said, wait, 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 wait a minute. You can always come back. You can always come back to the church and receive forgiveness. So, but but you know, so what Joseph was preaching was radically different than everything I had been raised with, and it really struck a chord with me because I I sensed all this legalism. So, how did you get from there to uh, Lutheranism? Oh, uh, so yeah, I was going in that direction, got kind of sidetracked. So, like I said, yes, there were there were things in Joseph's. A doctrine that didn't set well with me. One of them was he he teaches, or, or at least taught, I, I assume he still teaches, that you don't need to confess your sins. When you when you do sin, you do something wrong, he says that, okay, now you just need to confess Christ's righteousness and, and thank him for what he's done. The problem with that is that it's blatantly scriptural, and, and scriptural, scriptural, scriptural. Um, You'll get so, it yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll get it yet. 
so I, I was really kind of pricked in my heart because um, so I, I was reading some of Luther, but I was also reading um, some books by Watchman Nee, and Watchman Nee is is an Arminian, and he was a part of a a Chinese kind of revivalist movement um, in the early to mid twentieth uh, century China. Um, but, but, but he was very similar in that he had this very kind of uh, Baptisty emphasis on God's grace, forgiveness, and he really brought all these things to a forefront. He's a great writer. It's a, his book, The Normal Christian Life. I feel everyone should read, despite there may, you know, maybe being some a few problematic things with it. But but I was reading his book called the what was it? It was called the Gospel Dialogues, and it was it was almost like a catechism. But people were just asking him questions, and he was replying. And one of them was about confession of sins, and he was adamant, says, "No, we we have to confess our sins. When we sin, we we have to confess it. Christ is there with all the grace and all the forgiveness. But if the Scripture gives that condition. You you have to confess, and it's you know it's not." That's what it says. You, know, you you can't get around it, and and that kind of uh, really pricked my heart. So I, I kind of moved away from from the Joseph Prince stuff, and when I went into Bible college, I, I really got into church history and, and reading the church fathers. And I have a cousin who's a subdeacon in the Orthodox Church, and he had sent me some stuff, and I'm reading it. I'm reading uh, a lot of stuff from Catholic authors. And uh, Scott Hahn, the, the Roman Catholic theologian Scott Hahn, was, who, who was a convert to Roman Catholicism, Presbyterianism, really kind of opened my eyes to um, more or less the, the, the Catholic truths about the sacraments and things. He, he did a program entitled The Father's Plan, uh, in which he went through the, the Old Testament and the New Testament just kind of detailing the historical books, and it, it's actually a very excellent program if, if you just want to get a handle on uh, some of the history and, and content of the of the historical narrative of the scripture. But so I started listening to him, uh, looking at these Orthodox writers and reading some of the Church Fathers, in particular Saint Ignatius of Antioch. And so I. I then saw this huge, 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 huge disconnect between uh, the historic teaching of the church and Pentecostalism. Now, I had actually been to a Lutheran service uh, before while I was a Pentecostal. Uh, one of my friends in high school uh, was an ELCA Lutheran, and I had went to uh, Christmas Eve service with him. And I really enjoyed it. They pastor was this very old gentleman but, but I knew that uh, when I kind of had this crisis of faith and I'm like okay I've got to I've got to be where short, the church has historically been uh, I, I more or less saw myself as having two options either I can go to Rome which I, I wasn't going to do because I, I knew that the, the papal doctrines were first of all not scriptural and they're actually kind of unhistorical. The church has historically uh, held these ideas about the Pope that the Roman Catholic Church has for most of its history until the Great Schism. 
And so I, I was really leaning towards Eastern Orthodoxy. The Episcopal Church was too liberal. But one day I was listening to a podcast um, given by the, the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in which I believe it was Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, was, was the keynote speaker. And he began his lecture by identifying all of the different religious bodies that were present there at the lecture. So he's like, oh, okay, I see my Pentecostals over there. I see my Baptists. And he said, oh, I see my Missouri Synod Lutherans over there. And I, and as I was kind of like thinking about, okay, where can I go? Where can I just go to to observe a liturgy one Sunday? Where, where can I go? I, I remembered this, this lecture I had listened to uh, quite a few months prior. I thought, well, Missouri Synod Lutherans, that's, you know, surely if they're, if they're there at the Assemblies of God Seminary, they're conservative. And so I got on the LCMS's website, I'm reading about them, very conservative. I get on the LCMS church tracker, but in my address, there's one 25, 30 minutes away. And it was in the same town as the Pentecostal church that, that I was going to. I noticed that they had an early service, so I'm like, perfect. I'll slip in there. Early service, by the time I get out, it'll be time for band practice. Uh, I can go to band practice at my Pentecostal church and just go to service at my Pentecostal church, and it'll be great. So there's this great moment of anxiety when you're pulling into the, the Lutheran church on a Sunday morning, hoping that no one will see you <laughs> <laughs> from your other church. You kind of walk in sheepishly, and um, my pastor, Pastor Kevin, uh, came up to me right away and wanted to know my name, and I kind of told him my situation. Um, so I had some more talks with him, and, uh, and we wrote, and I kind of had this, um, it's a very unique situation. It's, it's, it's atypical certainly um, that I actually didn't even go through confirmation class which is uh, once again atypical uh, partly too because I, you know, I I want to go to the Lutheran church I I want to receive the sacrament I agree with the teachings of the LCMS because uh, I had already been reading Luther's small catechism even before I had gone um, to the Lutheran church and then, uh, but, you know, I still had this obligation over here at my other church. I had a practical ministry requirement to fulfill for my degree, my Bible college degree, and playing in the, the church band uh, met that requirement. So I, I had really? this weird okay. situation for a year where I would go to my Lutheran church for early service and then go and play guitar in the band for the other church, basically. And uh, the, the reason why I, I didn't go through confirmation was uh, really had to do with my job schedule um, because I, I more or less get up in the middle of the night to um, to go to work uh, at my place of employment. So... You know, driving half an hour to to like a you know, seven thirty confirmation class, uh, 
you know, midweek and then, you know, sitting through like the, the hour, hour and a half class and driving that other hour back and, uh, trying to get enough sleep just wasn't, certainly wasn't ideal. So I, more of a kind of private one-to-one deal with my pastor. We had some talks and, uh, had me go through the book of Concord, which I, which I read in like, I don't know, two or three months. I just kind of like devoured it. Um, and that was more or less my journey, journey into Lutheranism. Um, still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, that's that's more or less it. Uh, Joseph Prince made me a Lutheran. <laughs> I, should, I should write a book. <laughs> well, you know, I had seen, um, this was before I knew anything about him, Joseph Prince. Saw something on on television or maybe I saw it on the internet or something like that and was caught off guard by you know here's this guy way over there um that I'd heard people say that that he's word faithy but here was this sermon where he was in the book of Romans talking about justification by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone's the way he puts it and I thought okay how do you make these mesh together <laughs> yeah, it's but, very. But I wasn't. But I wasn't really so concerned about that as I was to say that you know the Holy Spirit will speak from wherever He wants. <laughs> he yeah, works yeah. faith wherever and whenever it pleases Him. Which, yeah, yeah, by the way, that's also something that you get whenever you come back to the Reformation, which is you know, semper reformando, always reforming. So, you know, mine mine became. I'm at a Pentecostal church. I've been in Baptist church for years. Um, left that for a while and then found this this um, church over years, Pentecostal-ish, I call it that, because they really follow the model of the big seeker-sensitive churches, you know, half an hour worth of, of singing and band playing and then everything settles down and then someone will make announcements and then the pastor will talk and then the pastor leaves and then there's another song Stuff like that. It's the same kind of thing that, that goes on in all of them. And I just about had enough of that because it wasn't doing anything for me. And and I'd been listening to The White Horse Inn, which that already messes you up. <laughs> and, I, and I still have the, the four-part episode or four-part four series that they did on justification. That's all it was. Just four episodes of justification. And I must have listened to that thing a million times because I just never heard that before. Gone to churches for years, never heard it put that way before. Never heard someone talk about the finished work of Christ. Never heard about imputation. Never heard about justification. Those are big fancy words, but they, they have meanings. Imputation. The idea that how how is it that you are holy before God when the... The reality is of your daily life is that you are unholy. How does that work? Because yeah. of Christ's righteousness that is imputed to you in the same way. Because this is how they talk about it in Romans. You know, Abraham believed God and it was credited or imputed to him as as righteousness. And it's like, oh. Oh, so in other words, Christ's righteousness becomes me before God. I am covered. Yeah. I am this is how and and I'm like, "Oh. So this is what it has always been 
but the churches that I've been going to, they that's a if if it was there, it was a very minor key. It was a very small part of what's going on. You know, this maybe once in a while they'll trot it out during some big long exposition of of scripture and then they'll mention it and then go right past that into whatever is the denominational distinctives. You know, which unfortunately that's what that's what most denominations are. Happily, the Lutheran Church's dis- distinction is law and gospel and how to divide it and and why it matters. And you know, it's something that if if you are maybe this is your experience, Henry, that if if you take it seriously, this idea, like in like in Luke, whenever the disciples on the road to Emmaus are walking along, and they're disturbed, and then and then Jesus opens up the scriptures by showing them everything, not in the New Testament because it doesn't exist yet in the narrative, but in the Old Testament concerning Himself. All of these things are about Christ. All of these things are about what you know the prophecies of of the things that are to come and the things that have now come and and he opens this up to them and that's it's right there in the text you know this is this is Christ nobody preaches on that in in at least in the churches that I've been going to the disciples on the road to Emmaus is just not a subject for for preaching so that people can understand it just isn't you know and and over time, like here was my favorite one. I, I came up with this on, on my own just by studying the scriptures. The whole idea that you have these these thieves that are on, on either side of, of Jesus when he's crucified. And at that moment, when, when Jesus looks the least like a savior, <laughs> the least like God, the least like, you know, the person who could reach out and save either one of these guys, Guys crucified next to him looks at him and says, "Remember me when you come into your kingdom." There's a distinction here. How on earth could this guy even believe this? There's there's no way he's not in any position to believe that this person who is also crucified and dying just like him, this is the guy that can save me. Because it's impossible for him to do that, but. He did anyway, because this is how God works. He works salvation for you. And and those words, for you, you know, God is doing for you. Our service in the Lutheran Church is God servicing us. The sacraments coming to us, you know, in, in confession and absolution. We do con, con, corporate confession and absolution at the beginning. We receive that which God has empowered the pastor to give us. You know, by the stead and the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because that is why he's been sent. You know, this is one of the things that he's supposed to but do. It, but it is also our, our worship of God, there is. It opens up after after the service. You know, the, the divine the, service isn't divine just because we are so wonderful in the way we we do our things. Because we actually expect God to show up, you know? and, and He does. <laughs> and therefore, and not not, in, not not quite in the Pentecostal way either. Yeah, <laughs> where it's sort of this raining down of Holy Spirit stuff, you know, and then everybody's cackling and whatever whatever the the distinctive is for the whatever particular church you're in. 
Is it, oh, no, no, because then it turns around and we have the introits where we, we do the responsive stuff. And then if you're on, depending on what um, um, hymnal you're in, whenever we reach, I'm just going to do it the, the way the traditions like page five or page 15, you know, and then you go into the the response that is supposed to come from having received absolution, you know, and then we, we go into that. And it's this back and forth. But ultimately... We wouldn't be doing this if God hadn't actually been there, you know. So, you know, other moments in in the service that, you know, always catch me with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. In other words, all of this is opened up around us together. All of this is happening. We laud and magnify your glorious name. That really hit home for me when my dad died because that means that you know that that first morning after after that first sunday morning after dad died i could say that i am raising my voice also and so is dad and so is all the company of heaven because he's part of the company of heaven now he's moved from what we sometimes call the church militant to the church triumphant you know they've made it they've they've been brought into the presence of christ you know, this different altogether than the way I was brought up. There's, there's a real, a you know, real presence, real comfort, real, real gospel that actually matters, <laughs> as opposed to if it, if I were still in these old churches, which I don't think I would be. It would be about you and how you are doing and my spiritual temperature and how my spiritual pulse is today and. You know, maybe I need some spiritual caffeine. I have to show up and have somebody, Which, you know. I don't know how many times I, I had heard church explain that way. Like, you go to church to get powered up. Yeah. You know, and to, even like, like in, in so much of the worship in evangelicalism and, and like the charismatic churches, it's their songs about us, us worshiping God, not actually worshiping god it's about us like about us give you yeah thanks. it's a good distinction it's, about, it's about us, us warping worshiping god yeah yeah it's it's very it's a very strange and narcissistic kind yeah. of view where, but i'll oh, go ahead go ahead yeah where well like a song where it goes we worship you it's like okay so are you going to say something about god now <laughs> no that's <laughs> just about us worshiping look at us god hey i'm gonna let you know we're worshiping um, yeah. By the way, the, God, did you see we're worshiping? You know. Yeah. Look, look at me. But I do. I do want to. I do want to say something about this. And you kind of brought it up. I think it's very important to to touch on is that um, wherever anyone is is preaching the gospel, even if their articulation of the gospel is off, if it, if it's not entirely correct, if the substance of the gospel is there. The Holy Spirit is working, um, and that's been very true um, of me. And I think we really need to guard against this idea. And, and I think Lutherans and the Reformed are very prone to this. Uh, and that you're not hearing the gospel that, unless you're in our church. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's which, it, and I, which I, I patently isn't true. You're even going to hear it in no, Rome. No. Yeah. It, well, I, I'm going to tell this, and I don't want to. Uh, Defame the brothers involved in this, but um, let me think about how I want to put this. There, someone had had written a blog post 
that more or less dissected Reverend Scalia's funeral sermon for his father. Okay. They, they went through and they, they dissected this. So-called sermon review, right? It was a sermon review, yes. Yeah. And what we need to keep in mind is that this sermon, Reverend Scalia's sermon, Reverend Scalia is a Roman Catholic. Yeah, that his son uh, delivered. His son delivered. You yeah. know, Father Scalia delivered. Yeah. Um, was great. And so many Lutherans loved this sermon. I loved it. I understand there are things wrong with it. He talks about yeah, indulgences. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's doctrinal distinctives that are in there, there that mark it as Roman Catholic. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And we take note of that as Lutherans. And you know what? We say, that guy preached the gospel. <laughs> but this person had, had basically taken Father Scalia's sermon and dissected it and did the sermon review. And the sermon review itself was, it was horrible. And I was so angry when I read this. Someone had shared this with me. I, I mean, I was livid because it was so inappropriate. Because they were, um, well, well, for one thing, um, by doing that, they're tacitly asking you to deny any gospel that's in it. As to say that yeah. somehow the pronouncement of the gospel is tainted because yeah. it came from the mouth of a Roman Catholic or something. I've yeah, never well, read it. I've never read this thing. But this is a tendency amongst some people. They said we've got our we've got our ducks in a row, and any piece of that that's said by somebody else, well, that's obviously tainted. If yeah, if right. it it's came like it's from them, cancel it out. Yeah, you know? and which, which, no. there are cases where that's true, and, and I think you can find that in Roman theology at certain times, but. But it was neither the, the time nor the place for this kind of analysis, given that this was a, a eulogy. And I was maybe not the most charitable, but I, I think I was uh, as charitable as I, as I could have been when I engaged the different people commenting on this post. And I, th I think what we, what we had to understand and maybe what I should have said uh, – was that if if the errors, what we what we would call errors, which are the, the Roman Catholic distinctives, if these being present in his speech cancel out this word of gospel, then what an impotent God we have, you know. Then if this was the case, then no one would hardly be saved because you know everyone has has errors. Everyone has misconceptions you know, at different times in their life. And if these things shine the gospel, if they suppress the gospel when it's preached, if the Holy Spirit all of a sudden says, oh, I can't use that word of gospel because this person uh, holds to some wrong ideas that they're preaching, then no one would ever be saved. No one would ever be rejected. Yeah, there would be no Christians in Rome. No. You know, it just, but, but we know that that isn't true. Um, yeah. You know. And, and so, uh, Father Scalia preached the gospel. And what the people kept on telling me, they kept on accusing me of, of, of not standing up for pure doctrine. 
And I'm, you know, my thing was, I, I understand that we disagree with Rome. Um, this isn't the time or the place. Uh, but my main point isn't even even to, to really talk about that. It, it's that, it, in my experience, God will use uh, whatever, whomever He will, to, to bring you to the truth. And so often we're in places in our lives to where we just can't go from our understandings the truth it's too big of a jump yeah god knows that he's he's in control he understands uh and he knows this so so he so he'll say okay well um here's this uh here's a joseph prince for you henry um that's something i could digest you know it's this idea of milk and meat yeah you Uh, see if you wanted to take this to its extreme um you know, I shouldn't have ever come to be part of a Lutheran church and understanding the gospel because it was the White Horse Inn. They're all reformed on there, except for, at, at the time, um, Rod Rosenblatt. See, he's one of, of four, but obviously they don't have a problem with having, you know, a Presbyterian minister and a Lutheran pastor and a uh, Reformed Baptist pastor on there all together talking about these things. And they all have doctrinal distinctions to where, you know, they won't commune each other. Okay? However, they're united about what the gospel says and about what the law says. And, 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 you know, it was because of that that I come out of that. Now, you know what? If... If see, here's the thing: is if Rome would just get off of the high horse of well, you know, you don't want to make the gospel too rich because that'll make people lazy. As don't you know, if if they would stop doing that kind of thing, things would get better over time, and you could imagine, you know, Rome actually being worth something. But you know, for the most part, they don't really do what happened at that funeral they don't they don't really do that very often well, you know their I, I homilies are all all kinds of <laughs> other things that are loaded with roman distinctives and things like that but that particular day um you know it was a good day to be talking about jesus you know even if it was it was intentionally made as a surprise you know sounded like he was going to say we're here we're gathered here today you know the usual way to pay our respects to you know, to Jesus. Oh, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then, but, and then more and more and more, and it was great, and and the, yeah. people should have celebrated, but it turned into, um, no, no, we can't have that because it, it's almost as though there's a, a nitpicky of, well, how dare those Romans do do something that we do? We don't want you doing that. That's our thing. Uh, yeah, there may have been some of that. I, I mean, I, I don't want to focus too much on that though, because that's that that was just a mess, and uh, I would prefer not to draw attention to that uh, whole thing because that's just uh, it, it's so bad on so many levels. But uh, I think what I really want to say to maybe our listeners or anyone who cares um, is that when you to your non Lutheran friends, you know, so many times you, you probably don't even have the same vocabulary. You, you're not even the same language. So you're telling them all this Practically. stuff about our beliefs about the gospel and, and the sacraments. 
and you just don't understand why they don't get it. You know, it's so great. Why don't they jump on the bandwagon? But it's it's too much. You're trying to give them meat, and what they need is some milk. You know, they, they just need a little bit. They need that, that little bit of uh, something that, that'll get them thinking, you know. So even for me, it was someone like Joseph Prince. It was a little bit of milk. It was a little bit sour, but it, it was still milk. <laughs> I, I could digest it. Even uh, I was thinking of this, Matthew, while you, while you were talking, and I actually dug this out. Um, after I had, I wrote this paper for school after I had um, been going to the Lutheran Church system. The pastor had given me a book of Concord. So I wrote a book on uh, the Eucharist for a healing class. <laughs> and ironically <laughs> enough, um, this was one of the suggested topics. It was uh, one of the suggested topics was uh, divine healing in the Lord's Supper. So I'm like, I'll take it. Um, so the, the title of the title of the uh, paper was The Medicine of Immortality, Nature and Power of the Lord's Supper. And while I was wrestling with the idea of the Lord's Supper being Jesus's body and blood, uh, ironically enough, uh, it was Joseph Prince that, that kind of opened my mind up to the, the possibility of this being Jesus's body and blood. Now, this, this sounds crazy. And, and it will, but uh, I, I remember one either a Saturday or a Sunday, I, I had, uh, went down to turn on Joseph Prince, and he started doing this series on the Lord's Supper. And he was in John 6. In John 6, we all know, is, is that chapter where Jesus says, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life in you. He who drinks my flesh he who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, uh, I, I believe he says, will have life in himself, and I'll raise and him I'll up. Raise on him up day. on the last day. Yeah. Um, very offensive, very visceral language Jesus is using, and many Protestant groups uh, just miss it and say Jesus is speaking figuratively. So Joseph this Prince what, said, "This is what Joseph Prince said. I actually had I had taped this sermon." And I used it in this research paper. Um, so this is what Joseph says. How many know that you can interpret feeding as spiritual feeding? But you cannot interpret chewing as nothing more than what? Physical. This is eating the communion. And Jesus knew that people would throw aside communion and say, Oh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood means believing in him. So Jesus purposefully used the word Trago, which is to chew, instead of fago, which is eating. Because there's this, Jesus uses these two different words in the passage. Uh, one indicates just eating, and another one is uh, this word trago, which is chewing. It's like a dog gnawing on a bone. Yeah. It's a very kind of visceral word. And when Jesus wants to up the ante in this passage, uh, he starts using this word. Yeah, I want you to gnaw on my flesh. I want you to chew on my flesh. It's this very kind of uh, uh, kind of shocking imagery, and that's when everyone gets really offended. <coughs> Excuse me. So I listened to this whole sermon where where Joseph Prince was talking about the Lord's Supper being more uh, than just a symbol, um, and that kind of like really kind of opened me up. 
And, and sadly, I, I, that, that was the last time I ever heard anything like that from Joseph Prince. Uh, I even got his booklet on the Lord's Supper, and it was more about, you know, if you take the Lord's Supper in faith, you can have divine healing, a lot of word of faith stuff. And he didn't cover any of this um, kind of almost Lutheranish kind of language that he was using in this sermon. So I, so I got a feeling that he probably caught some flack for it and uh, decided never to uh, never do go it over again. that. Never do it again because it's like, what are you talking about there, Joseph? Do you, do you mean to imply that the communion may be more than just a symbol? Well, that's because you know they're they're. Um, I'll tell you now. I remember something you just sparked a memory. Um, this church over here used to do uh, communion. They used to do it before the service. And it was, it was, um, they would do it every, every week. Um, but it was just for certain people. How's that for fencing the table? But, uh, I remember being in there, they're doing communion, right? And the guy that was the, the, um, who's also there is the youth pastor holds up one of the little cups and says, now you do know that there's no power in this, but there's power in the blood. And it's like, Okay, so why are we? Then it occurred to me, why are we doing this? Why are we here doing this if there's no, if there's, it's really pointless. There's, there's no point to doing it if it's just a symbol. If there's power in the blood and there's, but there's no power in this cup. That, why, why are we doing this? They didn't have an answer, and and now I remember that that's where it all started to completely unravel. It wasn't just the gospel. It was the incongruity of what was being said in response to the gospel by by some of these people. You know, a, no, see, they're they're going to teach that you know there's something real happening in there, but it's really just a symbol. It's really just figurative language. Jesus doesn't really mean that. Uh, it turns out he does. <laughs> but see, that's that's why those churches yeah. never celebrate the Lord's Supper, like like my Pentecostal church. Yeah, they do it quarterly do, if they do it at all. Well. Didn't, we didn't even do it that much. We did it once or twice a year. Okay, that sounds about right. Yeah, because it's just like, how do you fit this in? Because you know, your personal experiences with the Holy Spirit are more powerful than the Lord's Supper. If it's just a symbol, mm-hmm. so why keep doing this symbol if it's just? Yeah, what's it for? What's just, I mean, if it's just, it's a just because Jesus said to do it, you do it. Okay, yeah. and I guess that proves that you're obedient to a fault. You will know, do exactly yeah. what Jesus said to do. And then you like, kind of get this, uh, this idea of this kind of line of rhetoric about, well, if we do it too much, it won't be special because it's about our remembrance. So you really want to remember good. Yeah, you want it to be. You don't, yeah, yeah, you don't want to get bored with it. They, you know, you got to remember, were you there when they crucified, you know? Uh, uh, I, I thought that was funny. but yeah. uh, Well, it is sort of. <laughs> It I mean, um, but you know, they, but so, they don't have decent answers for you know. Whenever you ask these questions, you know, why on earth are we doing this? You know, what's the per? And I never and, went to it again because, because you know, in my head, by the time I got back to my apartment, I was like, oh, okay, I'm just, I, I just can't see any purpose in doing it. What's, the, what's the point? It's and, and there is good news. I think. Coming out of, of out of the Pentecostal side of the world, I don't think this is reflected among 
non-charismatic evangelicals, but uh, according to s studies done a few years ago, that it's like 90% of Pentecostals and Charismatics believe there is at least a spiritual presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. And this has never yeah, been taught. Yeah, despite what their church teaches. Yeah, yeah, despite what may be on the books, this is just something that they've come to reason because they've had this very dynamic view of God's working among them, God's presence among them. Therefore, well, yeah, I'm sure Jesus is present when we do this. That, that he's there in, in some spiritual way. Yeah, that he can be that he can be everywhere that he wants to, except in the in in that bread. You know, <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, so I mean, so, it's, they've kind of like, oh, you know, this this makes this makes sense. And while we say that's it's not what we believe, it's that's a good that's a really good step forward. Um, you know, it's kind of like the Calvinist and uh, Methodists, you know, technically that's their view, that there's a, a, a spiritual eating of Jesus, which we say, you know, that's not um, really correct, but hey, it, it's still a lot better than like Zwingli, where it's like, well, it's just bread and wine. Well, one of these, one of these days we'll talk about the communicatio idiomatum <laughs> yeah, and, and all the troubles here. that that causes, but, but, you know, or that you can get into with that. But, uh, but but it is a definite shift, you know, to find that these people, um, you know, it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because Pastor was talking about that this morning, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't Pentecostals, it was um, uh, Methodists, you know, yeah. in spite of in spite of what is officially on the books, um, these in fact it was a part of a discussion, a larger discussion of, you know, who should be um, invited to the table. You know who, what what people should be allowed, and uh, interestingly enough, um, they did some research, you know, in house research, and found that, you know, in spite of what they teach in the Methodist Church, most people believe that there is some sort of real presence of Christ in the <laughs> in the bread and the wine. And, now, <laughs> and but, but, so I want to I want to say though um, that, that for the Methodists, that that I think that has always been the the official. Teaching, or at least that was definitely Wesley's view, uh, coming out of the Anglican Church. Because, uh, despite how Catholic they may look, it is. But that, there's been that, some shift over the over over time on that's, that. That's kind of what I because I, I feel like in Methodism, um, because you know it, it's not like is, it's not like Wesley and it's not like Wesley was just like you know only fifty or seventy five years ago. It's it's kind no, of no, odd to is, find out that that's pre Civil War stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Wesley is so, preaching in the 1700s. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, the Methodist. I think you're kind of bound to find anything. But I, it wasn't too long ago. I was on the United Methodist Church's website, kind of looking at what they believe after talking with a friend who who goes to a United Methodist Church, and their and their statement on the Lord's Supper is very vague. They yeah, they want is. to say that, that Jesus is there. They don't deny it. They don't really say how, which is a step forward. Uh, and, of course, they still baptize babies, so they, they got that right. Um, no one seems to remember that when it comes to, to Methodists. They always dog all the Armenians. So it's like they're, they're dunking their babies, guys. They <laughs> they got that right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Only problematic if you weren't dunked as a baby or, or sprinkled or oh, well, whatever. dabbed. Okay, so you know, 
we've talked about this, and do you have any idea what time we're at? Uh, no. One hour and 35 minutes. <laughs> perfect. Our own show. But that's okay because, uh, you know, from time to time we got to talk about this because yeah, that, I mean, this I, way – go ahead. I, I, was gonna say, I, I think it's good we had this because we've had, I don't know, at least two different guests on now that, that have kind of detailed their conversion spirit experiences. And I think we've, we've both kind of mentioned aspects of them. But not really talked own before. about it, no. Not really talked about them, so it's 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 good for the listeners, I think, to kind of know that, where we're coming from. And now, um, as we're closing, I want to bring, I want to see if I can bring this back to because it's it's good that we did this anyway. But you know, it the reason that it that it makes it difficult to do a show like this one, where what we're doing is talking about anime from a Lutheran perspective, is because the thing that we're the the thing that I don't want to do with this is say now you see. This anime taught you a, a good moral. Uh, there's, a, there's a good moral to the story or something like that. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I see in, in a lot of these things. What I see is reflection of Christ in there, even if they didn't mean to put it in there. You know, That's just because of having spent a lot of time knowing that I ought to spend a lot of time rethinking what... You know, I've learned when I was young and then found out that, well, that was wrong and that it really is about Christ and it's about salvation and it's about not what I've done, but what, what God in Christ has done. And that is what makes, when when most people's thing that they want to get from whatever it is that they're consuming, it doesn't matter whether they're reading a book or whether they've watched a movie or whether uh, they're watching a TV show or watching an anime, if what they wanted was a moral to the story, eh, I if that's what you want, that's not what I've been trying to do here. And you know, people ask me, so when are you going to talk about the Ten Commandments with this? It's like, okay, now I realize why you want to do that. Do you want to turn it into a teaching tool? And I don't know if that's what... Eh, it's so easy to lose the gospel in this. Even in just doing this, um, that you know, I don't, I didn't want to do that. So, I think I managed to bring it back to what I originally wanted to talk about, Henry. All right, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think I did. I'll have to go back and listen to it again, and you guys can go back and listen to it again. Uh, listen to it many times. Listen to it as many, many, many times. Many Put times. it on like high speed. Put it on like double speed and listen to us. And then you know, I've, you know, I've never done that. I, I probably ought to just for the fun of it. Well, you got to watch how fast you make it because you can like make it yeah, impossible listen. to listen to. You can make it make it like those. Like, you know that this is how they do it in the car commercials now. Whenever it gets to the very end of the commercial and you hear the guy, and there's no way on earth you'd hear any of that <laughs> but but that's how they're doing it it's digital so so thanks for listening to angel repair juice today that guy is henry Vol. and my name is matthew pancake come back and listen to us are you going to be gone next week henry yeah yeah there won't there won't be an episode next week okay unless matthew wants to just Do, solo. run solo i don't know i don't know matthew, we'll see matthew guest yeah, Matt cast. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he could wrangle up one of you listeners. Ooh, to, that's a thought. Ooh, to uh, to replace me. To, repl- to uh, replace. No, that's scary. No, that wouldn't substitute, be hard to do. substitute. Substitute. It's a substitution. Substitute. Ah, uh, substitutionary attendant. Uh, yeah. Well, substitutionary 
uh, host. There you go. That almost sounds. That almost sounds. You know, the host. You know. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. So you've been listening to Angel Repair Juice. Come back and listen to us in a couple of weeks at the very worst. Come back and listen to us next time.